I think Paul would like that song. Paul would have uh, understood that it's your breath in our lungs. Paul would make the probably ask us the question, what are you doing with that breath? Today we're going to look at Philippians. We're going to be in the first chapter. Like I said earlier, if you've got your Bible, put a put a tab or something in about Acts 13. We're going to refer back to that in a little bit. One of the things about the book of Philippians that's so much fun, and, and today we really, really get a glimpse of this, is we get to really see the heart and the personality of Paul. Uh, we get to see how he thinks and how he's wired and what's important to him. But, but you know, you, we read a little bit between the lines and we get to actually see him really well. And, and today, that's the case. The, this small section, we're going to go through verses 12 to 18. We get to see his priorities. We get to see his heart. We get to see how, how Paul is wired. And, and quite frankly, Paul is wired differently than a lot of us are. And that's a good part of what we're going to talk about today. He is single-minded of purpose. And his single-minded purpose is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And Paul doesn't do that when the sun is shining only or when the days are good or when his life feels like it's in order or he has had enough to eat. Paul does it all the time. And we're going to look at today what it is to be single-minded of purpose. What is it what is it to be someone who really does have the, the, the breath of God in our lungs and we just want to speak the truth of Jesus? That's Paul. I read a, a survey uh, last week, actually. It was an older one. It was done in the United Kingdom. And, and it listed the top 50 things that people say make them happy. And I thought that was interesting because Paul is all about joy. We talked about that last week, rejoice, right? Paul's all about joy, but we get caught up and we think if we were really happy, then everything would be good. And so some of the ones that I remember from this survey were uh, the feeling of the sunshine on my face, the smell of fresh cookies in the oven, and the sound of laughter of my grandchildren. Well, those are all good things. They would make me happy too, right? But then the obvious question is, what happens when the clouds come out? What happens when the oven breaks and you can't make cookies anymore and the grandkids grow up and move away? Are you no longer happy? I mean, the thing with the thing with happiness is that it is a it's a fleeting emotion. It's on the surface. It's like sadness and anger and and frustration and disappointment. It's something that kind of sits up here and it changes as fast as the weather changes in Minnesota. Sometimes Paul doesn't talk about happiness. Paul talks about joy. And, And so at the beginning of this this time together, I want you to think about I want you to ask yourself, do you have joy and where does it come from? And the answer, of course, should be Jesus, but that's not always true for everyone. And is happiness really just a cheap substitute for real joy for you? Do you settle for happiness rather than what sometimes is do the hard work of finding joy in Jesus? Because Paul is going to help us understand that today. The truth is we shouldn't worry about being happy. We should be concerned about having that lasting joy that doesn't change. And that actually makes the happy stuff even happier and the other stuff not matter as much. Why is it important to listen to what Paul says? Because as Paul writes this letter, he's in prison in Rome. Paul is living in a Roman prison. And I say living because he spent two years there. And yet it didn't shake his joy. It didn't shake his reason for being joyful. And so so what do we do? How, how, how do we look at Paul and say, I want to use that as an example in my own life. And I think part of it is he realizes he's filled with joy because of Jesus. So what's different? You know Jesus and Paul knows Jesus. 
I think the difference is perspective. Paul's perspective is just unlike anybody else I've ever seen. There's just not that many people in history that have a perspective like Paul does. Paul's perspective truly is on Jesus Christ and him crucified. Perspective is the name of the game for Paul. Because it doesn't matter where he is or what the circumstance or the situation is, Paul's perspective stays the same. He's clear on his call from God. He's clear on his ministry. Last week I asked you, what's your ministry? What is your ministry? What is the thing that you're doing for God through his church in the world? And it could be that you're, you're uh, volunteering with our littles. It could be that you're offering to help with the olders. Maybe you've got a heart of care and service and you want to help provide for our oldest. Maybe you appreciate the facilities that we have and, and you want to spend the time in the background when nobody else is watching, having, every, having everything be made ready for when people show up. But what is your ministry? What is the thing that you focus your faith on in terms of actions in the world? See, Paul's focus, Paul's ministry is preaching the good news of Jesus to everyone who he encounters. And if you're clear about your call, if you're clear about your ministry, if you know your focus, you live your life focused on that purpose, not on the things that don't go your way. That's the lesson Paul's going to teach us today. Because when things don't go our way or problems arise, it doesn't change our purpose. It doesn't change our focus. But Paul would say, give thanks and then look for an opportunity. That's Paul's attitude. And so uh, if you've got your Bibles, go to verse 12 and let's start with that. Philippians 1, verse 12, Paul is in jail in Rome. And you're going to get a really good glimpse into his personality now. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. I want you to know. I want you to know deep down so that there's no doubt. I want you to know beyond any question. I want you to know as though it was through your own experience. I want you to know so that you're changed from the inside out. That kind of deep knowing. What has happened to me? What's happened to him? He doesn't just mean getting thrown into jail. What Paul's talking about is everything that has happened to him since he was Saul, who was renamed Paul, and everything that's occurred until now that he's in this jail in Rome. So if you go to Acts and you start in chapter 13, it's where you first see the name Saul. And Saul is chosen and and, uh, he is sent on a, a missionary journey and he ends up becoming Paul. And then he begins his travels. And Paul's travels as a missionary would make an incredible movie. I mean, the good things, the bad things, the miraculous things, the shipwrecks, it's it's amazing. He goes to Iconium and, and, and the Gentiles there who don't want to hear the name of Jesus, they poison all the people's thinking about Paul and they start saying things that aren't true. And then in chapter 14 it goes on further and he, he stops in Lystra and, and he's stoned and he's left for dead outside of town. They figured they took care of the problem, he's done and gone. So at this point early on, Paul has been stoned. He ends up in Jerusalem. He goes to the council there. He joins uh, with Timothy and Silas. He gets, uh, wants to go to Asia, and he gets this call to Macedonia, which we find out is Philippi, which is where this church is. And then he sees a conversion of Lydia, and he goes back to prison. And then the uh, centurion is, he is converted, rather. And so he's got all kinds of good stuff happening in the middle of some really not good stuff. 
He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been thrown into prison. It seems that everybody around him wants to come up with a reason not to have to listen to him. He gets an opportunity in Athens at the Areopagus to to do what he loves to do, and that's to engage this incredible mind of his. And he debates with people and talks about the faith. He goes on to Corinth. He ends up in Ephesus. It goes on and it talks about more healings. There's a riot in Ephesus because of uh, differing religions and what they've got to say. And Paul is at the heart of that. He raises someone from the dead. Miracles happen. It goes on. He's arrested in the temple when he gets to Jerusalem. He gets to Jerusalem even after he's been warned by this prophet named Agabus who says, if you go, you're going to get thrown in jail. Paul's response is, then let's hit the road. Because he knows something good's going to happen with that. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, it just reads like this incredible, incredible story. But it's true. Uh, there's people that want him dead. He said, you, you can go ahead and read it. It starts in Acts 13. You should take a look. It is in, incredible stuff. But through all of it, Paul says all of this has happened, has served to advance the gospel. Being stoned by a group of people who want him dead and thrown to the outside of town because they thought he was dead, advance the gospel. Being put in jail, advance the gospel. Traveling in a ship that doesn't end up where it's supposed to go in a big wreck and two weeks at sea and all that stuff advances the gospel. Paul's mind is that wherever he is, whatever the circumstance, whatever the situation, the gospel can be advanced if I'm willing to speak. And so Paul says, I'm going to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We pick it up where he is in this Roman prison, and that's his attitude, and it's all about perspective. Verse 13, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest of my, uh, that my imprisonment is for Christ. As Christians, when we do what Paul did and we set our, set our sights on Jesus, our circumstances don't matter. The situation doesn't matter. The good or the bad doesn't matter. All that matters is that we've got an opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus. And for us who are so used to living comfortable lives in America, that just doesn't make sense. We come up with more reasons not to proclaim the gospel or reasons why we don't have to in the moment than we ever should. And yet here is Paul in a prison in Rome, and he's focusing every moment on preaching the gospel. He finds joy in his purpose. Because he is in prison, he assumes that's where God wants him to be. And so Paul says, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to do what I do, and that's to preach. And so in Paul's mind, he's not imprisoned by the Romans. Paul thinks he's imprisoned by Christ because he says, I'm a slave to Christ. He says, I'm here because this is where God wants me. And everything that happens, Paul shapes around the perspective of preaching the good news of the gospel. And so when it talks about I'm imprisoned by the imperial, the whole imperial guard, we need to talk about who that was. It's called the Praetorian Guard. They were the elite soldiers in the Roman army. Those were the guys that um, protected the emperor. They protected his home and his household, his palace. Uh, they were the ones that, that carried out all the most important government functions. They were there. They were the most highly trained. They were the best warriors. They were the best soldiers. They're the ones that are charged with keeping an eye on Paul. But when it talks about he's being watched by them, they worked in six-hour shifts. And so these guys would come in, these soldiers, and for six hours, one of the Praetorian Guard would be chained to Paul's wrist. Six hours a day that went on for 24 hours a day for Paul that continued for 24 years. And Paul says, this is advancing the gospel. 
How in the world can he have got a perspective that says the gospel can be advanced through that? Well, here's how. The Praetorian Guard would leave their shift at the prison. They'd go get cleaned up, and then they'd go to the emperor's house, and they'd watch the emperor or his family, or the most important, or the wealthiest, or the politicians in the city. And every one of them spent six hours hearing the same thing. This crazy man, Paul, doing what he does, talks about this Jesus guy. And what happens is, because he's imprisoned for Christ, not imprisoned by the Romans in his mind, he gets the opportunity to talk about Jesus to every single soldier that's chained to his wrist. You talk about a captive audience, it isn't Paul, it's the soldiers. And they went out and talked to the emperor about it, the emperor's family about it, all of the servants, everybody in the household, all of the people who were anything in Rome heard about Jesus from this prisoner named Paul. Even this serves to advance the gospel. It's about perspective. And Paul's perspective was it didn't matter what happened to him. What mattered is he talked about Jesus. And so let's talk about our perspective for a moment, shall we? This morning, probably tomorrow morning, the odds are good Tuesday morning, you will not find yourself in a Roman prison cell. Right? Someone after last service said, you know, Paul takes away all my excuses. You're not going to find yourself in a Roman prison cell, and so Paul kind of takes away all your excuses. What are we going to do? What is going to be our focus? How how are we going to approach our lives in some way informed by Paul? Because here's what Paul proves to us. (laughs) Paul proves that you're not a victim of your circumstances. You might say the situation, the circumstance, whatever it is, I can't believe I got here, I don't deserve this, this isn't where I should be. You're not a victim of those circumstances. You may be a victim of ungodly choices, you may be a victim of a bad perspective, you may be a victim of a bad attitude, but you're not a victim of your circumstances. Your circumstances are what you make them. Perspective is the key, and that's Paul's whole point. So how do you not be a victim of your circumstances? You start by doing what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians, and I apologize, last week I said this was 1 Timothy. It's 1 Thessalonians 5.18. You know what? We give thanks in all things, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for us. You want to change your perspective? Stop complaining and start being grateful. God, thank you for whatever it is that you don't happen to like in the moment. Because if your perspective, if your eyes are focused on Jesus, even the most uncomfortable and unhappy things, God can use, God can redeem those, not just for you, but for other people to hear about him if we're willing to talk. Our circumstances don't determine our truth. What we believe determines our truth. And the fact of the matter is, the one undying, unchanging truth of the entire universe is the truth of the good news of Jesus. But if you don't believe that, that will not shape your perspective. If you don't believe that, you are going to be a victim of your circumstances because you're going to see the worst in them, not God in them. And Paul found a way to proclaim Jesus, not to make himself feel better, not to make his life easier. Paul found a way to preach the good news of Jesus everywhere he went. And so your perspective and your attitude about your circumstances... That's what matters because those are the things that are shaped by what you believe in. And what you believe in becomes your faith. And your faith is what you determine to be your truth. And so as Christians, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to give thanks in all circumstances. Doesn't mean we have to like it. 
But when we give thanks in all circumstances, all situations, for all things, we realize everything is in God's control. And if we're willing to set our sights on Jesus, then God can use that. Verse 15, Paul goes on and says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So here's what's happening. Paul's in prison. Everybody knows about it. Paul has a name for himself because he's done a lot of traveling. He's preached the gospel all over this part of the world. And now that he's in jail, there are some people who are taking this opportunity to discredit Paul and his ministry. They're still preaching Jesus, but they're doing it with the wrong motives because their motives are to say they're a better preacher or they've got a better version of the truth because at least like Paul, I'm not in jail. Paul says there are those, but then there are some who are partners. There are some who are preaching in the right way. And and so you've got to get a uh, grasp on this for what it is. There are Christians in Rome that are jealous of Paul because he's in jail. You break it down to what it is. They're jealous of Paul because Paul has a vital ministry. Paul is literally growing the Christian church in Rome from jail. What's your excuse? I don't have one. And so there's all these people out there, all these Christians and all these preachers that are trying to diminish and minimize his ministry to to push Paul to the side because he's in prison. And Paul says, you know what? Even their message is good, even though they do it for wrong motives. He isn't going to run anybody down. He's not going to speak ill of anyone. While they're trying to discredit and to silence his voice, they should have been celebrating God at work through Paul that the Christian church that they were trying to be a part of and grow was growing because of Paul's ministry as well. But so often Christians don't do that, do we? We end up getting into petty arguments and fights and we create little wars with each other and that just shouldn't happen. Paul's focus, his perspective was on Jesus and because that never wavered, God blessed Paul's ministry. And so there are some people out there that are, that are speaking correctly of him, and there's others that are not. And so here's where it comes to us today. Does your attitude and your circumstance and your situation and your perspective on those things lift up the name of Jesus and encourage others? Or as a Christian, do you drive people away from Jesus in the church because of your attitude and perspective And how you believe your situation really is. Paul couldn't have been in a much worse environment. There's not many places in the world that would have been harder for him to do what he was doing. And yet he did. And so I look at you and I and I think, what are we doing as Christians? We got it made. We're a long way from being a Roman prison. But you know what? Even if you were in a prison right here in Wilmer, you can still proclaim the name of Jesus. Paul proves it. Not an excuse. And so are we in our lives lifting up the name of Jesus? Are we lifting up God's church on earth? And are we lifting up other Christians? Or are we becoming the reasons that people don't want anything to do with God or his church? Because in America today, there's an awful lot of that. And it's all about perspective. Too often we we see pastors and, and Christians and folks who are just simply jealous. They're jealous of someone else's ministry. They're jealous of the size of someone else's church. They're, they're jealous of someone's friends or what they see as success. And so they do the very same thing that was happening to Paul. And all too often, Christians who otherwise wouldn't say a negative word about someone else get caught up in it. Does that encourage other believers? Does that encourage people who don't know Jesus to want to know him better? 
Or does it tell people that, you know what, the Christian church is full of a bunch of people who aren't any different than the whole world around me. They gossip, they spread anger, division, dissension. Why in the world, if that's what we're doing as Christians, would they listen to us about Jesus? And Paul's saying those people are out there, but they're still preaching the word. There's, there's still some good that they're doing. Paul's perspective isn't even changed by people speaking ill of him because his perspective is focused clearly on Jesus. See, our lives, our lives are a testimony to God at work in us. Our lives are a testimony of what we believe and what we consider to be truth. And how we live our lives, the words that we use to people in the world, that's how they know our testimony. That's what we do and it's what we say. And that either lifts up other Christians and it lifts up God's church or it gives people a lot of reasons to turn around and take off in the other direction. (laughs) I got a call a a while ago from a... um, journalist that was doing an article on <laughs> what's wrong with kids today. They wanted to talk to people in the Christian church. They wanted to say, what's happened with young people? That's an easy question for some folks. What's happened to our young people? That's not the way we were when we were kids. They don't understand. They've got it all wrong, whatever it is. They wanted to know from my perspective as a pastor, what's wrong with young people? I said, I don't think you want to hear. What do you think from, from your perspective leading a church? What do you think is wrong with young people? I said, very simple. Their parents. They didn't chuckle. It was quiet. And I said, and the other people who are the adults around them who fail to serve as a role model or an example. What's wrong with our young people today? Absolutely nothing. What's wrong is the adults and the parents who say that they're raising them, who don't stand for anything, who have no morals, no values, who have no grounding in faith whatsoever, and they tell their kids one thing and they go off and live a different life. Who are the kids supposed to follow? All they've got is the world, and so that's what they're becoming. Why is the Christian church struggling in America today? Because Christians aren't doing our jobs as an example of being disciples of Jesus. We're talking about what matters to me. We're talking about, well, this is what I want, and I don't like the church because of this, and I don't go because of that, and I don't believe because of this thing. And you know what? The world that doesn't believe, who should be seeing and hearing our testimony, is only coming up with more reasons to avoid the good news of Jesus. What's wrong with our kids today? We are. We're what's wrong with our kids because they look to us to be examples. It turns out I was not included in the article. Verse 17, the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. It doesn't matter what people are saying about Paul. It doesn't matter what people are saying about you as long as you're saying the right things, the true things, the biblical things, the things from your own experience about Jesus. It doesn't matter. Let them make fun of you. Let them laugh at you. Let them do whatever it is that they have to do to feel better about themselves. Our focus is to be clearly, clearly centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified. If Jesus is our perspective, if he is our focus, none of the rest of it matters. What is it that we have to gain? Nothing other than to preach the name of Jesus. What do we have to lose? Nothing other than to preach the name of Jesus. Paul is just incredible in the way that he's able to take every situation that he finds himself in. And he says, this is a good thing. The word right there is, so rejoice. Be joyful. 
Why? Because his perspective and his focus is clearly centered on Jesus Christ and him crucified. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not a good enough Christian. I don't know enough about the Bible. I haven't known the Jesus that long. Jesus doesn't ask for your perfection. He asks for your truth and your testimony. He asks for your faithfulness and your witness. You know, here's the thing. If you say, I'm willing, I'm willing to try. I'm tired of chasing happiness. I would like some of that joy the preacher was talking about. I'm willing to, I'm willing to start following Jesus. I'm willing to start telling people about him. Here's the thing. God is not going to put in front of you someone who's been walking in faith for 50 years, who's got the, Bible memorized from page one to page last. Not going to put them in front of you for you to witness to unless they've got something to learn from you. Or you've got something to learn from them. More than likely what's going to happen is God, if you've been a Christian for three days, God's going to put someone in your path who's been a Christian for one. Well, how long have you been walking with them? Only three days. Man, that's three times longer than I have. That seems like an eternity. What's your perspective? See, our perspective is I can't. And Paul's perspective is, I will. So what's your perspective? How how do we advance the gospel in the world even when we're afraid to? Well, it's by making Jesus the center of our everything. All of our ambitions, all of our efforts, all of our affections, both as Christians and as a church. Because if we're about anything else, then we're not about the good news of the gospel. We find godly joy in all of our circumstances. When the godly joy we're looking at is for Jesus in all of our circumstances. So how do you begin? It's like we said last week. Give thanks in all things, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You don't have to be thankful for everything, but we are called to give thanks. And in giving thanks, it puts the focus not on whatever we might not like. It puts our focus on the God who is actually in control. We make Jesus our priority, even over our own comfort, and we are not good at that. We make Jesus our priority, and his joy will fill and follow our new focus and perspective. Paul is an example of that that has been well documented in history. Your circumstance, your circumstance doesn't define your life. Your perspective, your belief, what you consider to be your truth does. So what's the simplest first step you can take? What's the first thing you can do? Love Jesus. Love people. Teach people to love Jesus. It's as simple as that. If today you don't love Jesus, that's where you begin. Say, Jesus, I need the joy. I've made a mess of my life. I, I, I don't even know how I'm going to face tomorrow. Start out by loving Jesus. We've got folks in the corner that would love the opportunity to help you along with that. You love Jesus, and then you start treating people the way Jesus did. Love Jesus and love people. And then we start living as a disciple who makes disciples, and that's where we teach people to love Jesus. It's as simple as that. That focus is the beginning of joy. That's the priority order of joy. Jesus, others, and yourself. It doesn't mean that you don't matter. It means that Jesus matters more. It doesn't mean that what you want isn't important, it means that what's best for others matters more. Jesus, others, yourself. Love Jesus, love people, and teach people to love Jesus. When we start getting that right, our attitude changes, our perspective changes, and the truth that we say we believe becomes the truth that we start to live. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what the world says about you because you're only concerned to what God knows about you. Even the worst of our circumstances and situations doesn't change us 
Because we've got joy. We've got joy in our focus, in our perspective. Because joy comes from Jesus, and that's something that exists deep within us. Unlike our emotions that skip along the surface and change all the time. So what you believe, what you believe will define how you perceive. And all of that depends on the truth that you've claimed as your own. See, what you believe becomes your faith. And your faith becomes your truth. And your truth shapes how you perceive every situation. It begins with love Jesus. If you don't, there's really not a next step. Love Jesus, love others, teach people to love Jesus. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for Paul. Thanks for an incredible life that that man lived. Uh, A life of faith, a life of, uh, (laughs) man, just incredible adventure. He had every reason in the world, having rocks thrown at him by people who he loved, being thrown in jail for, for preaching your truth. He had a million reasons to turn his back on you and to be grumpy and, and angry and, and all kinds of things, but he didn't. He was filled with joy because the only thing he wanted to do was to preach the name of Jesus because he had been changed so completely by the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He knew that Jesus had paid for his salvation. He knew where he was going, and he wanted to bring as many people with him as he could. God, help to make us make that our focus. Help us to think and see the people of the world that way. To love you, to love people, and to teach people to love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I want to leave you with today. What you believe becomes your faith. Right? Your faith informs how you perceive the world around you. All of which combines to become the truth that you stand and live for. What do you believe in? Who do you believe in? How do you see the world around you and what truth are you grounded in? Paul is so focused on the truth of Jesus Christ and him crucified that it doesn't matter his situation. That's the word that he's going to get out. That's who he's going to talk about, and that's the thing he's going to talk about. What about you? What is your truth? I'll go back to what the person said at the end of last service. Paul completely crushes all of our excuses. So don't let your circumstances or your situation define how it is that you see the world around you. See your world around you and the people in it through the eyes of Jesus.